Well, good morning, church family. Let's get into the word this morning, and uh, we'll go right from there. We're going to receive communion as well together, so I'm excited just for what God is doing in our lives, and he continues to do. I mean, it's not just once in a while that he does good things. He is, I see the evidence, and it's all over our lives, is it not? Good. Awesome. Well, before we get started, um, I want you uh, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll go there. And um, I believe the season that we're in, again, I want to just take a moment just to share with you and I again, the season that we as a church family have stepped into about a season of strength. And again, we've had lots of spoken words to us as a family and all been powerful, impactful. But let me know that there's seasons. I mean, of course, we see naturally there's seasons. But there's also seasons spiritually for you and I. And one of the things that we've stepped into as a church family is getting our roots established in the Lord so that we can be strong in the city, strong in our families, strong individuals, that no matter what comes our way, we are a strong people that know their God. Amen. Because the Bible doesn't say, hey, once you become a Christian, you'll never have another trial in your life. Actually, the opposite is true. When you become a kingdom messenger... Now you have a target on your back because you've got an enemy that is against you and wants to keep you silent. So again, if we're aware of how he works, we're aware of what he's, what he's trying to do, we know how to stop it, we know how to continue to stand. And so again, kind of what Pastor Julia mentioned, the church is never designed to be on the defense or on the offense continually. And so this is what we're doing is we're just, you know, getting strong, you know, doing that extra leg press, doing some little spiritual exercise. You know, in the Message Bible of 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe, it says there no spiritual flabbiness, please. So spiritual exercise is good, and this is what we're taking time to do, to actually check out and see what's going on. So Ephesians 6.10, this is what it says in the Message Bible. I like how he brings it out. He says, and this about wraps it up. <laughs> Don't you just like a good conclusion? And to take all the last five chapters I've said, this is what wraps it up. God is strong, and what does he want? He wants you strong. I mean, as a, as a father, I mean, I got four amazing kids. I don't want to say, hey, kids, you know, I'm strong, but, you know, you can be a sissy. That's fine. I don't mind, I don't mind some sissies. Papa's not raising no sissies. Uh, any men in the house here? Any, are you raising any sissies? And I don't mean that like they're just a bunch of, I'm not in a good sense. I'm not raising these weak men, these weak women, we're strong in the Lord. Other translation says we're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We draw our strength from him. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 14, or I have it on the screen for you, but why do we need to be strong in these last days? And I've iterated the last probably two weeks now, and I want to read this again to you again, talking about the New Testament the Apostle Paul, all that you see, the, the, how the church started, it started strong. It started with a mighty rushing wind, and then on the day of Pentecost, everybody heard strength coming from an upper room, going, what is that? These disciples who once were scared of for their lives, hiding in an upper room, now they're boldly proclaiming and speaking in other tongues in front of all Jerusalem, going, what happened here? Right? Peter, who all of a sudden hated chicken, one that rooster that crowed, to all of a sudden now boldly proclaiming the gospel in front of 3,000 people, and 3,000 people got born again. So there's this strength that the church is, that we're supposed to be. Jesus didn't die to give us a religion. He died to make his children strong again. And I want to show you this. So again, the Apostle Paul, this was his mandate, was to get this gospel over to the Gentiles. And he says, after preaching the wonderful news of the gospel and winning a large number of followers to Jesus... 
Now they retraced their steps and revisited Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And notice what he did. At each place they went, what did they do to the church? They strengthened the believers and they encouraged them, go deeper. Sometimes people kind of think, you know, when things get tough, what's the first thing that goes? Church. I was youth pastor for 10 years. Kids got in trouble. Guess what was the first thing that parents took away? Youth group. Why? I don't understand. Well, it's extracurricular. No, it's not. <laughs> and as long as you treat it that way, it just becomes extracurricular in your own life and your children's life. This is go deeper. Sometimes your answer is not to like let go of something. It's actually to go deeper into something. Go deeper in my faith. Go deeper in my understanding of the word. Go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. Not trying to solve a situation out here. I got to get my roots established here. He goes on to say, and they taught them, it is necessary. Say it with me, it is necessary. Is it necessary? It's necessary if it's necessary. It is necessary for us to enter into the realm of God's kingdom. And what is the realm of God's kingdom? It's God's ways of operating, right? The kingdom of God is not just a place, it's a system of operation. So he's saying it is important for us, it is necessary for us to understand the way God operates because that's the only way that we will endure our many trials and persecutions that we're going to face in this life. Not just endure trials and persecutions, but at the same time, I believe kind of like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those same guys, what did it take to stand strong before a king and say, king, this is, I know what you said in your law, I know what you're decreeing, but we refuse to because God has told us this. That takes some strength to say that. Anybody have kids that watch Superbook? That, you watch that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three guys had to make a bold stance in front of the king. And it could be great. I mean, I'm sure those guys were kind of hoping, God, blow out that furnace. God, blow out the furnace. But I believe in these days that we're living in, God is going to need people that will have to go through the fire so that an entire nation on the other end goes, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? Let it be heard. In all of my kingdom, that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the true, real God. Well, church, we may have to go through a few things, but what do we need? Strength, not just to survive, but to boldly go through because there's always a fourth man in the fire. There always will be. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay. <clears throat> Come on now. Now, so Impact Family, again, it's crucial for us to understand and recognize that strength, I mean, there's different measures of strength. So it's crucial, and again, the season that we're in this, we're leaving no man behind. So if you're saying, well, I've been strong in the Lord, that's who I am, I've been a believer for many years, awesome. First of all, that there's always gonna be somebody stronger from you. So you don't always say, well, I got it, I got it made. Well, impossible, because there's no such thing. There's always gonna be somebody ahead. And at the same time, maybe there's somebody who's not at that place yet with you, we're looking to strengthen the brethren, right? And then if you're, hey, I'm kind of new to this message of faith and grace. I'm new to the gospel. I'm new to Jesus. Wonderful. We are so glad. Get on in here because this is a great, safe place for you to grow, right? And so it's good to look around and say, man, I, I want to just attach myself, but I'm a little nervous doing it. Just do it because it's a really friendly bunch. We open up our hearts here. So we have got nobody going, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years, so I hang out with the 50 club. 
There's none of that. We're all believers in the Lord looking to go forward together. And if you're going, I'm new to this Jesus completely, great. You'll get an t- opportunity to introduce, to introduce him to you today. He's wonderful. And then he says, now there's iron sharpening iron. Go look for brothers in the, in, in the church. This is what we're here for. We're family. Now you see this. This is Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul says, now those who are mature or strong in their faith, they can easily be recognized. How can they be recognized? How they walk around with their King James Bible under their armpit going, KGV, baby, KGV. (laughs) And no. How do you recognize them? They wear a suit. No. How do you recognize them? They don't live to please themselves. That's how you recognize someone who is spiritually strong. All right. Woo! That's one that will get you running around. But they have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. So what are we? We're, we're patient. Right? Okay. Thank you. First two. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. And verse three, for not even the most powerful one of all, the anointed one, lived to please himself. So we see that example of Jesus. Now, what we've talked about many times before, but on one side of the coin, how do we as believers become strong? How do our roots grow down into the Lord? Colossians chapter 2 says that we are supposed to get our roots deep down into him. Well, on one side of the coin, you have, you have to know God. You know, Daniel eleven thirty two. it says, but those who know their God, they will be... Come on, y'all give me a little flex this morning. We're, people that know their God, what are they? They're strong. The result of knowing God, not knowing about him, but actually knowing the nature and the character of God. What's the result? They're strong. There's strength to them. And they take action because they know him. Right? A lot of times, anybody ever seen people try to go take action and they know about God? They miss it a lot of the time, right? They got a lot of zeal, which is wonderful, but you got to know him and you got to know when to shut up. Did you know that the same Holy Spirit that says, go and stand and say, also says, hey, go and stand and shut up? Anybody ever have that before? Maybe you walk in from work, had a long day, and you're ready to tear a strip off because you're having chili again for dinner? I'm not talking about myself, am I? <laughs> and you know, the Holy Spirit, you can say, before you walk in the door, just keep your mouth shut. Satan, shut up. Get out. No, no, no. Now the Holy Spirit will keep you to keep your mouth shut. Anybody ever have that before? Four of you. Okay, great. Well, it's the same one. And then on now, on the other hand of the coin, on the other side of the coin, how do we see strength? Strength is the result of knowing who I am in him and who he is living on the inside of me. So it's crucial. What we're taking time to really grasp and understand is who I am because I am in Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at these verses here. Again, familiar verses to us, but we don't want them to become familiar because then you lose the opportunity to learn more in it. He says this, this means that anyone, shout it out, anyone, red and yellow, black and white, anyone, it doesn't matter where you come from, what culture you came from, what kind of past you've had, anyone who belongs to Christ, who is that anyone? Anyone that's made that decision to say, Jesus, I I, I declare that you are Lord over my life. You have full lordship over me. Anyone who belongs to Christ 
has become, not is one day going to become, he has become a new person. Come on, shout it out, new. New. A brand new person and the old life is gone. Wow. So a death occurred, right? I mean, you think about it, Jesus talking to his disciples, they, I mean, a lot of times they said, well, Jesus, tell, tell us. And he says, there's many things that I want to tell you. John 16, verse 13. There are many things that I want to say to you, but you can't hear them yet. What is Jesus talking about? Really, he, if he were to go on and start spewing off what the apostle Paul really written, he would have said, you know what, guys, what's going to happen is I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to take all y'all with me. We're going to die on that cross together. We're going to go to hell for three days and three nights to pay for the penalty of your sin and that old stinking man that's been, that's been dead since Adam. I'm going to come out from the dead and I'm going to absolutely present my blood to the Father. And so that old nature is going to be dead and now a new nature is going to come and you're going to be brand new in me. It's going to be amazing. They would have been like, say what now? What? And then you're going to put the whole, holy, holy what on the inside of me? And then he's going to come on me? What are you talking about, Jesus? So really, the Apostle Paul, his letters are the words of Jesus that when he left this earth, he left them unuttered. So what we have the Apostle Paul, it's the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul to the church today. And that's why I want to encourage you. There's many beautiful ways to study the Bible, but one of the best ways for you and I as New Testament Christians is to go through the letters of the Apostle Paul and look for these key words in Christ, in him, through him, in the beloved, by him. Those are all identity scriptures that will give you insight in what happened from the grave to the throne. That is what the church needs to come to reality on because again, we could read the gospels and you can look at it and say, this is what happened to a man. But what God and Satan saw is completely different in the spirit. God didn't just see one man going down to hell to pay for sin. He saw the entire human race go down so that anyone now who calls on the name of Jesus is saved because of one man got us into this mess. One man is able to get us out of this mess. So what the father saw is completely different. And he showed that to the apostle Paul. And that's why Paul is just church. You got to pray this Ephesians one prayer, get it, pray it over your family, pray it over yourselves. God, I'm not asking you for a new truck this today. I'm asking you to show me who you are and show me who I am because I'm on the inside of you. Because we're one spirit joined together. I want to know. I got to see this. So this is what the Apostle Paul is praying for the church. Is the eyes to be opened for the church. For what? My eyes are open. Not talking your natural eyes. Talking the eyes of your heart to see who you are now. Because you were buried with Christ. And he raised you from the dead. And you are a brand new person. So new the Bible says. It has never been seen before. So you have got to let God introduce you to who this new person is. And how did I become new? By my efforts, by my work. I got to be a new me, so it's a new year, new Joel. Yeah, I'm going to work hard to be a new guy. It's impossible. We're talking about a spiritual issue that Jesus took care of, and I have to see what happened on the inside of me. And that's what this whole Christianity is all about. It's a work from the inside out. Ah, oh. woo! He says, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 18, and then he goes on to say, and all of this, 
This new life is a gift. Say it with me, is a gift. It's a gift from God. Now, again, he didn't come just to change you a little bit. He didn't come with this huge gift of, of life and say, well, here you go. I, I hope it helps you out a little bit. No, a Christian, a true Christian is not merely man-altered, but actually is man-remade. So God didn't come just to send Jesus to alter your life a little bit and help you out a little bit. He came to actually kill that old man and he remade, made a brand new one. So now you've got to see who you are because I tell you, in Christ, you look really good. And here's the thing. Sadly, Satan knows more about that than most believers do. So church, we got to wake up. If your neighbor's sleeping, tell them to wake up real quick. <laughs> All right. Now, again, Jesus came, as we said, to absolutely destroy that old spiritual condition. And he, at the same time, he came to reveal who we now are on the inside. Again, you can't see naturally who this remade person is. It's not naturally that took place. So where did this remaking happen? It took place on the inside. Well, how do I see now what happened to me on the inside? How do I look? Because again, how many of y'all looked in the mirror this morning? This is awkward. Some of you are going, I don't know. Hair's a little out of place, shirt half tucked in, zipper undone. The barn door's open, y'all. Did you take a look at that? So you got a mirror. <laughs> you got a mirror that you looked at, and what does that mirror do? It gives you a reflection of what you look like. So you've not actually seen you except through a reflection, right? Your eyes haven't popped out of your head, looked at you, and went, oh, that's what you look like. You've seen a reflection. Well, now the Word of God is called our mirror. Our mirror for what? What your spiritual condition looks like. And so much of the time, it's, well, let's turn here. Go to James chapter 1 for a moment. He says this in verse 21 talks about, you know, the wrath of God and how we're not going to be, like, don't allow the, the anger of man because it doesn't promote the righteousness of God. So he says, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. So he said, instead, with a sensitive spirit. Now that to me is the key to all of this. It's a sensitive spirit. What is a sensitive spirit? It is one that is gentle. It's humble. It's coachable. It's teachable. Anybody ever talk to somebody that had teachable spirit? Isn't it beautiful? Somebody who's just, man, I, I want to learn. I want to I grow. What, what can I grow in? What can I develop in? This is something that, I mean, even in the natural sporting world, where we saw guys that went far and that didn't, particularly in the, the soccer world that I was in, was actually dependent on this coachable spirit. Are you teachable? Because I saw some guys that had amazing skill, but they were a bunch of jerks, man. And guess what happened to them? Out you go. Well, how much more a sensitive spirit is required in the body of Christ to even go further in God? The moment you think, I got all of this, I don't need to hear another thing, you stop the growth. <laughs> so he says, with a sensitive spirit, and a sensitive spirit, I know this just for myself, it's I'm quick to repent. I'm quick to believe, and I'm quick to forgive. Those are the three that I'm constantly working at regularly. Somebody wrongs me, I forgive. 
I did something wrong? Oh man, I, I'm quick to apologize. I'm sorry, I did that wrong. Please forgive me. And God says something in his word, I believe it. It doesn't need a whole parade to finally get me to, well, okay, Lord, I guess I'll believe. That is a big part of the culture that we see what's a problem is God's word is no longer a final authority. Well, you know, I know God's word says, but, and then you got about 18 paragraphs to kind of showcase why I think that I can justify the way that I want to live. No, if God's word says it, I'm going to go, I believe it. Lord, help me understand it, but Lord, I believe you. My, I already say, yes, that's true, before I even know the full understanding on it according to your word. That heart is a coachable heart where the Lord's able to start teaching you things. It's true. All right, thank you for that too. All right, so with a sensitive spirit, now look at this. We absorb like a sponge God's word which has been implanted within our nature for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. You know how many times people talk about, oh, I just need deliverance. I need deliverance. We need a deliverance ministry. You need a deliverance ministry. You just got to pray and it'll be delivered. There's truth to that. I have nothing, nothing wrong with any of that. But I'm telling you, sometimes we all of a sudden try to look for the easy way out without going to the word of God. And the word of God is what delivers. Sometimes we just say, I'll pray for you. And then we go and we start praying for it. How come nothing happened? Because you're dealing with somebody who's got no heart to be coachable or teachable on the inside. And you're dealing with them going to go, hey, you've, you've been living miserable for years. And, you know, the Lord's trying to get something across to your path. Well, I don't want to hear that. I just need prayer right now. No, you need a word. Because the word is what delivers. Jesus, the word of God, Psalm 170 says, he sent his word and he healed them. So part of all of this is you have to come to hear to be healed. Jesus went around teaching and preaching the kingdom. And it says people, when they came, they came to hear the message of healing so they could be healed. Okay, verse 22. He says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. So he says, always let his word become like poetry, written and fulfilled by your life. Next, he says, if you listen to the word and don't live out the message that you hear, he says, you become like a person who looks in the mirror of the word. Right? You just went through the apostles' message and you found an in him verse. In him I am complete. Woo, woo. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Woo, woo, woo. I love it. I love it. I'm at, praise God. That's what I'm good. All of a sudden circumstances come. Oh, oh why are, I just can't do anything. I, I'm just a loser. I can't do anything anymore. You forgot who you are. You looked at the reflection, got excited for a moment, then went out here circumstances try to tell you otherwise. You forget what the mirror reflected and shown you and you start living like everybody else on this earth. So instead he's saying you have to go to the mirror of the word to discover your reflection of his face from the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror. Click. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word. But then you go out and you forget your divine origin. He says, verse 25, but those who set their gaze deeply. Come on, say it with me, deeply. So we're not talking about just a glance once in a while into the scriptures. You know, I just, I just want to take a glance in the mirror. That won't make you look pretty for your first date. You walk, wake up and all of a sudden, good. 
that you may have a few missing pieces. So what he's saying, when you fix your gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty and are fascinated and you respond to the truth that you hear, notice what he says, you are strengthened by looking at the reflection. That's what it's supposed to do. Spending time in this word isn't a, oh, I gotta do my devotions. No, I'm looking here and I'm getting a reflection of who I am because I'm in him. And I see the reflection. I see who Jesus made me to be. And I go, woo, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. It's supposed to add something to you. He responds to it. They're strengthened by it. And they experience God's blessings in all that they do. Come on, y'all. So this Bible is not just a cute little book that we do on Sundays. It is absolutely your 24 hours, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week mirror that you can go to to go, Lord, who do you say that I am? And allow his word, his mirror to show you now who you are. So you stop living based on the natural mirror or you stop living based on what the world looks like. And you start living your life based on the mirror that you see from the word of God. You know, I, I want to tell you this. My mama is amazing. I love my mama. She's wonderful. And I know some of you that say she's great. But I tell you this. She was the black sheep in the family. What? But in the really cool way. She was kind of the odd one out. You know why? Because she believed this. She would look at, at the, be fascinated by the word of God. She went down to another Bible school that maybe wasn't so much excited, for, you know, family wasn't excited for her to go to. She came back and the first thing that they said, what did you learn? To be a doer of the word. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, but do you? <laughs> so you look at the mirror and what happened is now, she has a way different thought pattern. She talks different. She acts different. She thinks different. She responds different. She sleeps at night. How do you, how, how do you get all of this? I don't understand how she's doing that. She looked in the mirror. She fed, set her face at the mirror and didn't allow anything out here to disfigure or to showcase away, but she stared at it and said, this is who I am. This is what I have. This is what belongs to me. This is who God is. People can talk all they want, but the fruit is what we're after. People can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. We're looking for the fruit. You will know them by their fruit. So if we're living, oh, I'm up, I'm up. Everything's good, glory to God. Have a bad day. Oh, I'm just so miserable. Can I just encourage you, go back to the mirror because the mirror doesn't change. So you have to set your face on the mirror and allow the mirror now to dictate how you live. Stop letting this outside world tell you how you're supposed to live. The word, the mirror says you're blessed. Oh, I'm gonna just look at my bank account. It says I'm not. What are you going to believe? Because what I see out here will contradict what I see in the mirror of the word. So I'm going to have to make a concrete decision. When are you going to make that? Hopefully sooner than later. Because if we're believers and we believe what God says, then at the same time, about who he is, at the same time we're going to have to go, God, I believe who you say that I am as well. Okay. Now, so let's look at the mirror here. I only have about eight more minutes. Let's look here for at the mirror. We're going to get into this more next week. But just something that has been stirring on the inside of me was the gift that God came to give believers, which is Zoe life. First John chapter five. Let's look here for a moment. 
I want you to see, you know, the emphasis. If you read the Gospel of John and then the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the emphasis that John gives is on life. He talks about life, 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 life. So if you're wondering, what is, what's John's Gospel about? What are the Epistles about? It's about life, and you're going to prove it to you right here. 1st John chapter 5, verse 11, and says, And this is what God has testified. So this is God speaking. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Okay? Now verse 12, he says, Whoever has the son has life. Come on, shout it out. Life. If you have the son, you have life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Verse 13. Now he says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who is John writing to? He's writing to believers, Christians. And what's he saying? I wrote this to you so that you may know without a shadow of a doubt that you, believer, are in current possession of eternal life. Not one day when you die, you have life now. Eternal life now. You may go, well, I've heard this before. No, 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 you haven't heard this before. John is, has to say this at the end of his message to say, I'm writing these things so that you get something. Maybe part of the reasons why he's writing this to say is you may be a believer, a child of God, but you actually don't know what's on the inside of you right now. For him to have to write this? So clearly John is trying to get something to you and I that you have in your possession right now, eternal life. So much that Jesus didn't just give his life for us, he gave his life to us. Why? Because it was the number one need in humanity to get life. Not just more lessons about life. Other religions try to give you messages on life. There's only one God, one man who came and gave us life. His name is Jesus. He gave us Zoe, the God kind of life. Not when you die and go to heaven. Man, you need eternal life to even get there. You need eternal life down here, and it'll change everything on the outside here. So now, the focus, this is something that the Lord was just stirring in me, but the focus of Jesus coming to this earth, I mean, my natural answer, a robotic answer, would just simply be, well, he came to die so, to get people out of hell, right? Pass out tickets to heaven, that's, that's, that's great. There's truth to that, but a higher thought of this was God sent Jesus to this earth to get God out of heaven, and his life into his children. God was stuck in heaven. He needed a way out to get to this earth. And he came with the focus of now bringing eternal life. Now, the gift that God gave us is eternal life. So the question that I want to ask us this morning, I've got three that we'll probably finish off next week, but do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know what eternal life is? And do you know what eternal life does? For an example, the devil, when they, all of a sudden, when Jesus would show up on the scene, they would scream, this must be the son of God. Something like that. Why did they do that? Because for thousands of years, 
they had not seen a human being on earth that had this eternal life living since Adam. And they asked, who is this man? Why, why, why can he do this? Why does he heal the sick? How can he raise the dead? How does he walk on water? How does he calm the storms? How does he do this? Well, the whole motivation or the whole groundwork, I should say the foundation of why he could do all of this is because he was a man who was not in Adam. He didn't have the fallen nature. He came from God and he walked around with eternal life. It was in his eyes. It was everything about him. And you actually see in John chapter one, verse four, it says, in him was life, Zoe, and this life is the light of men. So it says, naturally speaking, there wasn't something magical about him that we were just drawn to this Jesus. Why were people drawn to him? Well, they were said, it's his words. Well, where did that come from? Life. Man, we just wanted to be around him. What was, all, what was the drawing factor in all this? He had eternal life. So let me give you a couple verses and then I'll have the worship. We're going to do a, a communion together. But first question is, do you know that you have it? Because again, the purpose of Jesus coming was to put eternal life back into mankind. Now listen, this eternal life will impact your body when you become aware and knowledgeable of it. Look at this, John three sixteen, or no, sorry, Romans six twenty three. I want you to see this. This is the crown jewel of the gospel. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers is eternal life. Do you know you have this? Look what Jesus gave you. John 3, 16, a very, again, verses that we know. But God so greatly loved, dearly prized the world that he even gave up his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? But have, come on, y'all, but have what? Eternal life. That's not just you and I being able to breathe, naturally speaking. We're talking about life as God has it. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus said, but I have come. Why did I come? That you, say me, that I may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full, till it overflows. Sometimes we just think, oh, I get more stuff. That's not what he's saying. That, that can be part of the package. But he said, I came that you may have life. This is the focus of Jesus coming. Not just to get you out of hell. That's partly true. But the other side of the coin is God had to get out of heaven to bring his life that Adam had lost in the garden. I need my children to have this life again because this life is the foundation for everything good that they can experience. Church, you have eternal life. Man, I don't know about you, but there's been people that I sit with. For one, my brother Dallas. I love my man Dallas. Remarkable story. You'll hear it soon about how God rescued his life, almost died, came back, and now you can see eternal life popping out of his eyeballs. He can't help it. Just wants to talk about Jesus. Just gets excited about Jesus. What is that? Eternal life. It's, I see it. I see it now. And you can't help but now not unsee it. Last scripture I want you to see is this is John chapter 5, 24. He says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you that the person who hears my word, 
the one who heeds my message and believes and trusts in him who sent me has, notice how the Amplified says, it says possesses now eternal life. That is, eternal life begins, actually begins, the believer is transformed and does not come into judgment and condemnation, but has passed over from death to life. Verse 25, he says, I assure you, most solemnly say to you, a time is coming and is here now when the dead, that was all of us, spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Whoo! I don't know about you, but when you hear some of this stuff, you go, okay, from death to life. Death to life. So this morning, what we're going to do with your communion cups, we're going to drink life and remind ourselves again of eternal life that is on the inside of me. This whole week, I've been declaring eternal life is on the inside of me. It's quickening this body. Wake up with some pain, body? No, no, no. Eternal life is on the inside of me. Church, you have to become aware of this. I have eternal life. It's mine right now. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is and what it's able to do. Because I tell you this, man, the the Bible talks about fight the good fight of faith, and then he says lay hold to eternal life, which you've received. So there's something about fighting the good fight of faith to experience all that God has purchased for us, this eternal life. Now, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, he says this, the Apostle Paul is speaking. When Jesus appeared to him, he says, I have handed down to me what came to be by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he distributed it to the disciples and he said, take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. My body which is given for you. My body which is given for you. They couldn't take his life. He laid it down. He gave his body, as you see, as a sacrifice, according to Isaiah, to actually take the stripes on his back. And those stripes mean it's your and my healing. So right now, I want you just to take that, (laughs) whatever this is. (laughs) But we are substituting it saying, Lord, we're, we're taking this as the body of Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to eat health and strength to our bodies. So before we eat this, let's just hold this up and let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the beating that you took, the stripes that you took on your back so that we can be healed physically, emotionally. We receive that now in the mighty name of Jesus. We just declare in this room, cancer, leave bodies today. We just declare migraine headaches, that's it for you today. We just speak to the flow of blood in people's lives. You flow properly. Blood clots, you you thin out right now in the name of Jesus. So right now we eat to our health, not because of anything we've done, not because we took our vitamins this morning, although those are great to take. We're doing this because King Jesus purchased our healing for us. So we receive that in Jesus' name. 
Thank you, Lord. And then the next verse, he goes on to say in verse 25, he did the same with the cup. After supper, he said, this cup seals my new covenant in my blood. Drink it, and whenever you do this, do it to remember me. So what we're doing this morning is reminding ourselves the covenant that we have with God. Not a contract, a covenant. A covenant that he will never break. So this morning, shame and guilt have no place on the child of God. It does not belong to you because if you are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says, Now therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is now no condemnation for you. It's not here. Condemnation is the result of the law and disobeying the law. But now you have a great sacrifice in Jesus who has purchased your complete freedom from sin, your complete freedom from the curse of the law. So this morning, drink joy to yourself. I mean, sometimes you hear that word cheers. What is cheers for? Hey, thank you to the king. Thank you, King Jesus, for what you provided with the blood that was shed for me. So go ahead, we drink that. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you'd be so kind just to stand with us this morning. The team's just got a song for us. And I want you to hear these words and make it a confession over yourself as well.